Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Good morning, church. How are you doing today? Good morning, Northeast. You can hear me now. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So, uh, first of all, I want to start by saying thank you to Mercy Church leadership, staff, and church family because it's been such a blessing for us to be here, for my family and I to take the next steps in following Jesus here at Mercy. From day one, even though the church leadership knew that I and my family were called to go back to Kenya, they still gave me a job. I remember that question, like, uh, where do you see yourself five years from now? And I was like, what do I say? <laughs> I was like, oh, well, I think of, we're going to Kenya, and they still gave me a job. So, And even when uh, in late 2020, when we came back to leadership and said, we now feel a strong call, a strong desire to go back to Kenya, we were met with just encouragement and, and, and support. There is indeed a strong sending culture here. When we say we send God's people to all people, we mean exactly that. As a matter of fact, in, in, uh, is in November, we went to Kenya for a vision trip, and we met Catherine, who's a missionary from Mercy Church, and we know there are other missionaries all over the world who have been sent by Mercy Church. So that is such a cool thing, to see a church that says something about mission and does it. It's not just talking, we actually do it. So this summer, as you've, you've heard, my wife, Malin, our three kids, a launch team, um, and I are moving to Kenya to plant a church and set up a transition shelter for homeless women and children. Uh, God willing, because we love the mercy so much, the, the name of the church will be Mercy Nairobi, and the name of the transition shelter will be Mercy House. This theme of God's mercy is all over scripture. When God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 34, he said he is a merciful and gracious God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. In Ephesians 2, Paul tells us that God is rich in mercy, and out of this wealth of mercy, he has made us alive in Christ Jesus. Again, Peter tells us that those who are in Christ, those who have been made a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people of God's own possession, we have been made this not because of our works, but because of God's mercy. So Mercy Nairobi's vision will be the same as Mercy Church. I don't know if you get a theme here. Um, the only difference being the city. Uh, we will seek to see a gospel awakening in Nairobi that is carried to the ends of the earth. Our mission will be to make disciples for the glory of God and the good of all people. Most of us are familiar with what Jesus said before he ascended to heaven. He said, go, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything, all that I have taught you. And remember, I will be with you till the end of days. This has been 
the global sea church's mission for over 2,000 years. Christians have moved from one place to the other with this passion to see God glorified and a compassion to see people come into salvation and reconciliation to God, and not only that, to God and each other, all in the name of the gospel. When I think of the city of Nairobi and the kind of church that it needs, I'm convinced the city needs disciples that love God and love people. Because that's the only way you end up with a church that loves God and loves people. This means I, my family, the launch team, future staff, have to love God and love people. And not for our own glory, but for his own glory. This is both good for us and good for the community around. And so before I share with you the specifics of Mercy Church and uh, Mercy Nairobi and Mercy House, allow me to unpack through scripture the kind of church we perceive God is leading us to plant in Nairobi. We'll be in Matthew 22, 34 to 40. That is Matthew 22, 34 to 40. If you're there, say I'm there. If you're not, say hold up. Oh, man. Guess it's a cold morning. Matthew 22, 34 to 40. And I read. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher. Which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. That's the word of the Lord. And before we can consider it, let's pray. Gracious Father, we are in awe of who you are this morning. Thank you for your love, because we only know how to love because you first loved us. Thank you that you are mindful for us and you care for us. And so, Lord, as we seek to learn and continue learning what kind of church we ought to be and the kind of church we want to see in Nairobi, Would you open up our mind and our hearts to grasp what the Spirit will teach us this morning through your word? Help us not only to be hearers of your word, but to be people who do in accordance to your word led by your Spirit. Jesus, may my voice not be as loud as yours. May we hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and the church said. By the time we get to Matthew 22... The Pharisees had been tired of Jesus. They are tired of the miracles and the fame, so they came up with an elaborate plan to trap Jesus. So they first asked him a question about taxes, and Jesus replied with a famous, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and give to God what belongs to God. And then the Sadducees asked him a question about marriage in the resurrection. Here we learn from Jesus, in the resurrection, we will neither marry nor be given in marriage. But then they had one more trick up their sleeves. One of the experts in the law, and by the law we mean the Torah, this is the first five books of the Old Testament, asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? 
What is the one thing that I need to do to be okay with God? Do you often ask that? What's the thing that I can do? Do I need to evangelize or do I need to make disciples? Do I need to give money to the homeless people or do I need to have like a blessing package for them? All these questions without really wanting to fulfill what Jesus has to say. Now look at how Jesus responds. He said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. Now Jesus, what he does here is quote Deuteronomy 6.5. This is called the Shema. Faithful Jews would have recited the Shema daily. This scribe who asked this question ought to have known this because he has spent his life reading, memorizing, reciting, debating the law, and yet his heart was cold towards the one God had sent. This reminds me of Jesus' words to another group of Pharisees in John 8, 42. He says, if God were your father, you would love me because I came from God. Notice that instead of honoring Jesus for how he silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees gathered on the side to plot how they can trick Jesus. They were so focused on their own glory and not God's glory. Why do I say this? I say this because the Sadducees believed, or they did not believe, in the res resurrection of the dead. But the Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. And yet, when Jesus was responding to the Sadducees, he not only confirmed that there is an afterlife, he told them people will be resurrected. So you would think that the Pharisees would say, yay, Jesus, thank you for your fidelity to biblical truth. Oh, no. They became envious and malicious simply because they did not like Jesus. But I do think this is a wonderful question because from this question, we get to know the basis, the foundation, the starting point of everything we do, feel, and dream. I don't know about you, but have you ever walked out of your house with like crisscrossed buttons on your shirt like this? Just because maybe you are in a hurry and you forgot and you start with the wrong buttonhole? And you're guaranteed you will go out there looking like a doofus, right? It's like, what's going on right now? But if you start with the right buttonhole, you look good, presentable. Now, on a grander scale, if we dream, feel, or endeavor to make disciples, not having first loved God, I'm afraid we will do ourselves and the disciples, we end up making a disservice. And so when I think of the kind of church we perceive God leading us to plant in Nairobi, I long for us to be so grabbed by the reality that God is greater than anything else. And he is the one that we love more than anything else. To know him. Because how dare we point people to a Jesus we haven't first loved. So how exactly do we love God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind? The God of the universe who spoke things into existence. 
the one who molded and crafted us, the one who says in Isaiah 44, I am the first, I am the last. There is no God but me. Who like me can announce the future? Is there any God but me? There is no other rock. I do not know any. How do you love a God like that? The truth is, we cannot love God in this way in our own effort. According to the Bible, ever since Adam and Eve chose to love and be satisfied and, 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 and be satisfied by the fruit and the prominence they were going to get because they were lied to by the deceiver, we became, as a human race, alienated from God and incapable of loving God in this way. Our default setting before accepting salvation is to love the gift more than the giver of the gift. And after salvation, it's a daily wrestling and refining to love God more than anything else. And I'll be the first one to admit, not every thought, desire, or ambition I have is always God-focused. Sometimes my self-centered will be leading the way. And that's where, as a Christian, you come back to Jesus and say, I believe, help my unbelief. I depend on you, Father. Let's make an observation here. We love God when we treasure, value, and enjoy him more than anything else. Now, the heart, soul, and mind are not to be understood as three different parts of human, humanity. Like, you have your love for God with your heart here today, and then tomorrow you love him with your soul, and so on. What it means to love God with your soul, heart, and mind is to love him with the entirety of yourself. Loving God means every other treasure, desire, longing, accomplishment, when contrasted with the greatness of God, the worthiness of God, it loses. It loses its meaning. This is why Paul could look at everything he had. He was a Pharisee from the tribe of Benjamin. Or everything he had, and he said, I consider it as rubbish because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Some of you, though, might find it hard to love God in this way because you have either misunderstood who God is or you do not know the affections of God towards you. I think of the many struggles in my home country, the pressure of the shame and honor culture, the struggle to never mess up, always be presentable, always say the right things, always do the right thing constantly. The legalistic approach to the Christian faith where you're constantly working with a hope that through your works, God will love you or bless you more. Let's be honest. It's hard to love someone you don't believe loves you back. So if you see God as an unloving boss who just gives you commands, it's hard for you to love him with all your soul, your mind, and strength. It is hard. But consider this with me. The God is your creator. As we saw last week, he purposefully crafted and molded you to reflect his glory in all of the earth. He knows your name. The number of his, or the lack of thereof, on your head, consider this as well. God is your redeemer. The famous Bible verse, 
What does this say? John 3.16. For God so loved the world. There it is right there. For God so loved you. Like you can insert your name in there. Is your name David? For God so loved David. For God so loved Stella. Whatever your name is. For God loved you. Okay? What did he give? He gave his only begotten son. Because he loves you. And why did he do this? So that if you believe in him, you will not perish, but have eternal life. So not only did he create you and give you his son so that you can be reconciled to him, but he has an eternal life set up for you. That is love towards you. And it's easy for us to agree with that verse, but not linger enough to be grabbed in our hearts by the affections of our Father. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I've been, I've been going through Psalm 9, uh, Psalm 8, sorry, and I see the psalmist show the, the, the majesty of God. Like he's, he's showing how majestic God is. He's thinking, look at the stars, the moon, all these wonderful things that the Lord has done. And yet in the middle, he says something outstanding. Who is man that you are mindful of him? That you care for him? Think about that. God purposefully, intentionally cares for you this morning. Are you finding it hard to love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Hear him say, I am mindful of you. I care for you. When you did not love him, he loved you enough to die on the cross for you. Now, Jesus doesn't stop at love God. He goes on, look with me at verse 39. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, Jesus, he's, he's just like on a, on a tendency of just quoting Old Testament, all right? So if you think we should not be in the Old Testament, Jesus is like really against that idea. He is like quoting Old Testament constantly. Uh, remember that book uh, of the Bible called Leviticus? Uh, the one that people say that's where the, the Bible reading plan goes to die? That one? <laughs> he loves that book. Leviticus 19.18 reads this way. Do not, look, do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, allow me to argue that this, this second commandment, is the manifestation or visible fulfillment of the first commandment. What do I mean by this? Love for God is only visible... Fully visible to others by how we treat and love people. Consider with me 1 John 4.20. If anyone says, I love God and yet hates his neighbor, his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. 
I love what Tony Evans says about this. He says, to love your neighbor is to make the decision to compassionately and righteously pursue him, pursue his or her well-being. How would you like other people to treat you? Think about it. How would you like other people to treat you? Jesus is telling you, treat people the same way. Do you want people to appreciate you, be gracious to you, give you the benefit of doubt? If you didn't have clothes on, would you want someone to offer a shirt or a pair of pants? We call them trousers in Kenya. So in my mind, I was like, pants, trousers. If you are wrongly convicted, would you like someone to advocate and fight for your freedom? With what you know about God right now and the gospel and salvation, if, think for a minute, if you did not know God, you had never had the gospel, would you want someone to share the gospel with you? I will contend that the most loving thing we can do in the world is share the gospel with people who are far from God and intentionally disciple them. This is the greatest good we can do in the world. And so we proclaim and we serve our neighbors because we love them as we love ourselves. And who is your neighbor? Anyone that God puts in front of you, regardless of class, ethnicity, or affiliation. Let me tell you a little bit about Kenya. We have more than 43 different tribes that speak more than 43 different languages. We have 81, eight and one, registered political parties. We have just diverse spirituality because pre-colonial, every tribe had their way of worship. Not forgetting the socioeconomic divide, We've got the education divide, and this diversity is significantly felt and seen in Nairobi because Nairobi is the capital. Now, unfortunately, this diversity has led to many divisions in many churches in Nairobi. And I'm convinced that Nairobi needs a gospel and a church that is united behind the gospel and not divided because of the diversity in the city. And I'm not talking about conformity. I'm talking about Christians being united behind what the gospel unites with. Nairobi needs a church that loves people regardless of class, ethnicity, or affiliation. Now, as an outsider looking in, I have seen some few tribes in the American church. Now, y'all thought I wouldn't talk about you, all right? <laughs> Allow me a minute to point a few tribes of sin in the American church. And I'm not talking about your mercy, just those other Christians out there. <laughs> there is the ethnic divide. I heard a preacher say that Sunday morning is the most segregated time in the state because dinner time is the most segregated time in the United States. Who's at your table for dinner? And I have to say, I'm really proud of Mercy, and they, the leadership didn't tell me to say this. But the first thing I did uh, when I was trying to look for a job here, I went to the website to make sure that there was someone of color, and I saw Dr. Rashad, and I was like, okay, I can apply there. <laughs> but the world sees these things. And if we let our ethnic 
diversity be the thing that divides us instead of uniting us to celebrate how God has differently created us to glorify him, then we're not pointing people to Jesus. Then there is the political divide, and I'm not going to spend time on this. Y'all know and heard Christians tell other Christians they were not saved because they voted for so-and-so? How? Then there's a social and economic divide. Churches picking sides on different issues based on their tribe, but not based on what the gospel says. There's a theological divide. You cannot question anything. And then there are those who say you question everything. All those things, Christ dying on the cross paid for all of it. Think for a minute, the disciples of Jesus. This is not even on my script. You had, like, a tax collector who was for Rome, oppressed his people, getting more taxes. This is Matthew. And then you had, on the other side, people like Zylots who are fighting the Roman Empire. And yet they found a place at Jesus' table. So we can all find a place at Jesus' table. Paul, in Galatians 3, says, For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all in Christ Jesus. What Jesus is saying for the church in Nairobi and the church in Charlotte is, Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Let's make an observation here. We show love for God by love for neighbor. We show love for God by showing love for neighbor. The point here is not to ask, who is my neighbor? The point here is to be the kind of good neighbor to all people that God brings your way. Think with me for a minute. How did Jesus love you? He came and served you. He came to serve you and not be served. Because of this, he became the embodiment of God's love to us. Since he has saved us, and made us part of his body, now we get to express God's love for one another through our service to them. One author says it this way, God wants people to taste and see through our actions of love that he is a very good God and his kingdom is amazing so that after experiencing it, they will want to be with him forever in his kingdom. Loving our neighbor is not simply a religious performance. It's an opportunity to bring the rule and the reign of King Jesus, our good God, to the present broken world as we look forward to that eternal city. In Nairobi as it is in heaven. In Charlotte as it is in heaven. That's the kind of church Nairobi needs. The kind of church that loves people and serves them. Jesus ends his answer with this profound statement. By the way, I just love Jesus because this guy asked him one question and Jesus has just been going. It's like, okay, love God, love people. And by the way, one more thing. Look at verse 40. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. If you take up all of the law, 613 of them, you take up every single thing that the prophets talked about, they are summarized by love God, love people. Take the Ten Commandments, divide them into two parts. Love God, and that is the basis of loving people. 
Because you cannot know how to love people without first loving God. And if you love people devoid of the love of God, all you will be doing is an exercise in futility. With that said, here's what the Lord has been reminding me in this season. If we try to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission by sheer force of will and self-determination, we will tire ourselves and labor in vain. The gospel frees us to depend on God. There is only one man in all of history who loved God with all of his heart, soul, and mind. There's only one man in all of history who loved people, his neighbor, more than himself, actually. And he intentionally and sacrificially died on the cross, a horrible death on the cross for his neighbor. And his name is not you. Insert your name. It's not Alan. It's Jesus. So if we desire to love God and love people, brothers and sisters, I command you just run to Jesus daily. If you desire to love God and love people, depend on Jesus daily. There's a reason why Jesus says, pick up your cross daily. Love him daily. Here's the thing. It is impossible by ourselves to love God in this way and to love neighbor in this way. But Jesus promised one thing, that those who accept salvation, he gives them a new heart, a heart made of flesh, not made of stone, but a heart made of, 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 of flesh that has the capacity to love God and love neighbor. And you have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the word of God to lead you in how you should love people. So you can do this. Because God wouldn't ask us to do something that was impossible for him. He will give us new hearts with new affections, values, and priorities. I perceive that God wants us to be disciples and make disciples in our orbit that seek Jesus before we do for Jesus. And that's the only way we will be a church that points to the surpassing world of following Jesus. Now, allow me to take the next few moments to share with you some specifics of our vision for Mercy Nairobi and Mercy House. Uh, you got the prospectus with you? This is a time to look at it. Um, you can go to, I think it's page, page six or some, somewhere close to that. Yes, yes, thank you, Tori. I'll give you a little bit about Nairobi. I love this city. This is where I got my first job. This is where I went to college. This is where I met my wife, Malen. She was out there doing mission work, and then she saw me, and she was like, I'm staying here. Um, <laughs> we got married there, and then she, uh, she you know, convinced me to go to Texas, where she's from, but then we came to North Carolina very fast. Um, <laughs> I love Nairobi. It is the capital of Kenya. It has a population of about 5 million people. Now, when it comes to the spiritual climate, 60% of the people would claim to be Christians, but that could be farther from the truth. We have a huge case of cultural Christianity, like in the South, where people go to church on Sunday sometimes, and then on those other days, you just live like a heathen. And that was me. Like, I was a Christian, 
accepted salvation in, in high school. And I remember in college and then after my first job, because I had a little coin in my pocket, I would go clubbing on Friday and Saturday and then Sunday go to church with my grandmother. That's how most of people in Nairobi who go to church live their life. Then there is the case of prosperity gospel. This is so huge in Africa. Like people believe that God will bless you. Like you don't have to work. Somehow mysteriously money is going to show up in your bank account. As long as you give to this ministry. That is horrendous. Because what that does is it gives people a false hope. That they have a relationship with God and they don't. And at the end of it, on the day when the Lord comes back, he will say, I never knew you. Then there is biblical illiteracy. There are people who have also become disillusioned with the church. They are running away from church and running away from Christianity altogether because they don't see a lot of churches in Nairobi serving. And so what is the opportunity we have here to plant a church and to set up a transition shelter for homeless women and children? I'll talk about the church just a little bit. It's going to be called Mercy Nairobi. We want to be a church that is welcoming. We want to welcome everyone in the city. Remember when I talked about diversity? We don't care about your tribe, about your political allegiance. We want to welcome everyone to the church because when you welcome people, you break down the walls and there is room for discipleship. We want to be a growing church that grows together. We want to be a church that goes with the gospel. By the way, if you did not know this, Kenya borders three countries in the 1040 window. Ethiopia, Sudan, and Somalia. And so we have an opportunity to mobilize, to train missionaries who can go to these countries and spread the gospel. Now, in 2020, my wife and I, we watched this documentary on BBC, and we, there's a link somewhere on our website. We, we can share that with you. And they showed... They had done this one-year study, and they showed the homeless women and children in the city of Nairobi, and some of them are falling prey to child traffickers. And now, I know there are many problems in Africa. Like, if you haven't been to Africa, like, there are many struggles there. But this is one thing that has really grabbed our hearts. Imagine growing up in the streets, never hearing the gospel, having a rough life, that's the best thing that ever happens to you. That cannot be the best thing that ever happens to someone when they are Christians in the city. And so for us, what we want to do is create and set up a transition shelter for homeless women and children in the city. It's a transition shelter. It's not a homeless shelter because we want to see these women move from street life to church life to community life. We'll do things like job training, job placement, education for the kids. We want to do this because we have to. I'm reminded of the Roman Empire in the times of Nero, I think, when uh, women would give birth to girls and the men didn't want them, they would throw them in some pits. And do you know what Christians would do? They would go and climb those pits and get these baby girls. And they would give them a chance because they are image bearers. That's the same thing we want to do. It's a hard thing, but it has to be done. So we want to plant a church and set up this transition shelter. 
This is your action step. This is what you can do. One, you can consider, not consider, you, you really need to do this. You need to like pray for us. <laughs> okay? Don't consider this. Just do it, okay? <laughs> Pastor Spence said, I can say that. Um, pray with us and for us. Pray for the team. Pray for the city. Pray that the Lord would start to prepare people's hearts as we go, that there are people who would want to join this work. The second thing you can do is give. Now, as a member of Mercy or someone who already gives to Mercy Church, you're already given to us. Like since October, or no, August, all I've been doing is church planting stuff. And I'm still on staff, still getting paid, so thank you very much for your giving. Um, <laughs> that's how you've been supporting. But now, over and above, over and above your tithe, you can give. There's a link on that prospectus, or you can meet me at the back, and we can talk about that. And then the other thing you can do is consider going to the nations. Maybe the Lord has been stirring in your heart that you need to go take the gospel, take your next step in following Jesus and go to the nations. I will say we have two ladies. They're actually seated right here. Tori uh, Bishop and Rachel Young, they have said yes to going to Kenya for two years. I'm like, yes. Yes, yes. And so if the Lord is... Starring something in your heart to go to the nations, we would love to talk to you. And it doesn't have to be Kenya. Maybe the Lord is going to use this first conversation to send you somewhere else. And I'm sure Pastor Scott, Sarah and them would love to talk to you about you going to the nations. Because we believe in sending God's people to our people. Amen? Amen. Thank you for your time. Let's close this with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your love. Thank you for how much you love us. Indeed, we only know how to love because you love us. Gracious King of glory, would you teach us to love you more? Would you teach us to love our neighbor? Not when it's convenient, but even when it's painful. Because it was painful for you on that cross. Lord, thank you for the church. Thank you for how hospitable this church is. Thank you for how gracious it is. Thank you for the spirit of sending here. Lord, would you send more? Would we see 20, 30, 40 people from this congregation go to the nations to spread the gospel so that people who don't know you may come to know you? In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said,